Our second reading tonight comes from 1 John 4, chapter... Yes, 1 John 4, um, verses 7 to 19. Dear friends, let us love one another, because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only Son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is perfected in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us assurance to us from his spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son as the world's Saviour. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe that the love of God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. In this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, for we are as he is in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect fear drives out love, drives out fear, because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Kate. Thank you uh, very much, Peter. It's great to see you. My name is Paul. Um, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, If you're here visiting to have your question answered, I'm especially glad that you're here tonight. Uh, We've been asking uh, uh, our community, if you could ask God one question, uh, what would you ask him? It's been a great four weeks. We've looked at uh, why is there so much hatred in the world? We've looked at uh, is the Bible real? Is it just fiction and contradiction? Uh, We looked at why doesn't God answer my prayers? Uh, This is our question for tonight. It's on the screen Is God really anti-gay? I want to say thank you if you asked that question. Thank you to all the people who asked that question. It's such an important question. It's such a real question. It's such an emotive question. And it's such a personal question, isn't it? I hope tonight that as we grapple with this question, you don't just want theoretical answers, but you want to know how to talk to people. As I prepared the sermon, I was thinking of my friend Phil, who is my closest non-Christian friend. He is gay. He's been in a stable gay relationship for the last 10 years. He works for a gay charity in the UK. I was thinking, how would he hear this sermon tonight? Uh, I was thinking of Dave, who grew up in the church as a teenager, who was same-sex attracted, and the church where he went to, all he heard every single week was that, was that homosexuality was, was wicked and was evil and was sinful. And he says how he felt dirty. And he tells how as a teenager he was so scared and petrified of actually telling somebody that he was gay. He's still a Christian today. Praise God for that. But now he's really battling what it means to be a Christian who struggles to be gay. How would he hear this sermon tonight? 
As I prepared the sermon, I'm, I'm thinking of my friend Anthony, who I led to Christ 20 years ago. I met Anthony at a party in London at the BBC. It was one of those awkward meetings where I, he said to me, oh, what do you do, Paul? And I said, oh, I'm an Anglican minister. He said, oh, I'm gay and God hates me. I was like, no, God doesn't hate you. And amazingly, Anthony agreed to meet with me to read the Bible. We read through Mark's gospel together. And over a number of weeks, he met Jesus. Most extraordinary thing, he met Jesus, he became a Christian. Over the next two years, we met every week, read the Bible together, grappled with what it meant for him to live as a Christian. I'm thinking, how would he hear this sermon tonight? As I prepare this week, I'm thinking of Ed, I'm thinking of Vaughan, they're two friends of mine, they're both ministers in the UK, and they're both openly same-sex attracted, seeking to live a godly, pure, celibate life that honors their saviour. How would they hear this sermon tonight? Think of Carolyn and Christopher, friends of mine, who have an actively gay son. How would they hear this sermon tonight? I'm thinking of people in Kiribilia who I meet regularly. Some are gay, some are straight, but they've all asked the same questions. Paul, what do you think about gay marriage? Are gay people welcoming your church, Paul? How would they hear this sermon tonight? I'm thinking of people who are right in front of me, you guys, who I've had the privilege of sitting with and talking and listening. And some of you shared your struggles. Some same-sex attracted, some just struggling to be single, some, some struggling to be godly in their marriages, some with family or friends who are gay, thinking, how do I talk to these people? And I share that right up front because as I preach tonight, please don't just want answers. Please think how you might talk to real people. Some who struggle, some who just want to know how to talk to others. I want to start tonight with one word, and that word is sorry. We need to to say sorry, don't we, as a church? Sorry for the harm that we've caused and the hurt and the pain. Sorry for the way that the church has contributed to the mistreatment of homosexuals. Sorry for the way that we've endorsed flawed scientific research. Or the way the church has said things like, quote, homosexuality is a psychological disorder needing change therapy. We'd say sorry for that, don't we? Say sorry for the careless words spoken by Christians or for the way that the church has seemingly elevated homosexual sins above all other sins. Sorry for the way that the church has created this culture of fear where people are terrified of admitting that they are gay. Sorry for the way the church has been hypocritical. People walk through our doors and they are a cohabiting couple, heterosexual couple, but... We treat them differently from the way that we treat a gay couple. We should be ashamed of that, shouldn't we? And we're so hypocritical, you know. We turn a blind eye to sins like greed and verbal abuse and lying and anger. But we're very quick to expose any hint of homosexuality. So I do want to say sorry. Sorry for pain, sorry for hurt, sorry for inconsistency, sorry for careless words. Sorry for thoughtless quoting of Bible verses without any context. 
Sorry for not listening well. Sorry for not creating a safe place for people to talk about themselves. Sorry for creating a barrier for people who are struggling with same-sex attraction to walk into our church. I'm sorry. Now, we as a church should always treat all people with respect, with dignity, and with love. Because all people are created in the image of God, aren't they? But here's the problem. I'm deeply sorry for the way the church has treated people so badly. But I also want to carefully and sensitively and compassionately uphold God's word on this topic as I do every week. And that's the tension, isn't it? Because in, in the climate that we live in today, if anyone voices any word of disagreement about homosexual activity... No matter how careful, how sensitive, how nuanced we are, we're labelled as intolerant, narrow-minded, or homophobic. You see, in our society, in our world, over the, the past 40 years, there's been a massive shift. A massive shift. We've moved from mistreating homosexuals to acceptance from marginalized to mainstream from persecution to celebration and so the gay and lesbian lifestyle is celebrated, endorsed, accepted and nurtured and I have to say that a lot of that has been good and necessary gone are the days of prejudice gone are the days of persecution that's a good thing isn't it but it also seems that gone are the days of tolerance See, see, tolerance used to mean that that we could disagree on things and we could be passionate about something and we could debate and we could listen and we could tolerate differing opinions. But I stand here today saying, today it's not possible to disagree on sexuality. It seems like the new tolerance has actually bred intolerance. And so the church Christians are labelled as homophobic. But are we really? I mean, at its true meaning, homophobic means that we are fearful of and we mistreat homosexuals. And if that's what we do, we should be ashamed of ourselves. Christians should never be homophobic. It's never right to mistreat persecute or hate anyone because of who they're attracted to is it what did jesus say love god and love people love all people yes love even your enemy love them respect them pray for them but we we need to say we should be able to peacefully respectfully Raise questions, discuss things that God talks about in his word without being labelled as homophobic, shouldn't we? So let's open the Bible and turn to just page one. I want to open the Bible and see what God says. And I say that because we as a a church believe that this book, the Bible, is God's self-revelation. We believe that this is God speaking. We believe this is God revealing who he is and what it means to be human. And we believe that this is God's timeless truth for all ages, all time, all cultures. Uh, 
And if you believe that this is the word of God speaking into our culture, then of course there's going to be times when God's word kind of clashes with our culture. And I think the gay issue is one of those issues. So we can look at the Bible tonight, and you've got a choice as you listen. You can choose to ignore it. And you might be here tonight, and you're someone who doesn't believe in God. So, so why would you listen to his book, to his word? Of course it's going to sound judgmental. Uh, you can listen tonight and you can choose to just rip bits out of the Bible and say, I don't like that, I don't like that, and I don't like that bit. But who are we to pick and choose? Or you can be here tonight and you can kind of like sit over the Bible and you can try and listen to the Bible through your own experience and your own emotions and society and try and, try and fit God into that. But I want to suggest the way to approach the word is to sit humbly under it and try and see our world through the lens of God's word, even when that's uncomfortable. So let me read from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Now rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created the male and female. Such an important verse. It's saying that, that God is a creator, we are the creatures. And every man and every woman is made in the image of God. Let's just stop there. If, if, you, if you believe that, if you believe that God is the creator... And we are his creatures. Doesn't that mean that God has the right to tell us the best way to live? Doesn't that mean that God has the authority to give us a blueprint on how to live as his creatures in his word, His world? My first point tonight is this. Is God anti-gay? No. No, he's not. He loves all people. God loves all people. Do you believe that? I'll ask you again, do you really believe that God loves all, all people? Do you believe that the heart of God is love? He's the author of love. He's the definition of love. Did you hear that reading in 1 John chapter 4? God is love. This is love. Not that we love God, but God loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And the heart of our God is a God who creates people because he loves them. God loves people, all people. We've just sung it. His love shines at Calvary. He loves people enough to die for them. And that's the heart of our God and the heart of Christianity. He loves his people with a selfless, sacrificial, costly love. See, if you're here tonight as a Christian, it's not because you're a good person. It's not because you're a better person. It's just because you've humbly accepted how much God loves you in Christ. It's not whether you've sinned. You've all sinned. I have as well. It's not how much we've sinned. We've all sinned lots. And it's not about any particular sin, is it? Greed, lying, stealing, anger, heterosexual sin, homosexual sin it is totally and utterly irrelevant isn't it we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of god but god loves us and jesus died for us i love this quote by tim keller he says 
Heterosexuality does not get you into heaven. So how can homosexuality get you into hell? Have you got that? Uh, What stops people getting into heaven is their self-righteousness, thinking that they can do it all and they don't need a saviour. And what gets people into heaven is a humility to accept that they're not perfect, they need forgiveness, and they believe in Jesus and they trust that God loves them. So I want to say right up front, God is not anti-gay. No way. He loves the gay person. He loves the, the straight person. He loves the homosexual, the heterosexual, the bisexual, the transgender, the queer, the intersex, the black, the white, the poor, the rich, the man, the woman. God loves people. See, God's heart for the gay person is exactly the same as his heart for the heterosexual person. Because we're all sinners in need of a saviour, needing to experience God's love. And then maybe you never heard that. Maybe you still think that God just sees people through their sexual orientation. Maybe if you're here tonight and you're same-sex attracted, you spent your whole life thinking that you're defined by your sexuality. You're not. You're defined by the God who loves you. Sam Albury, who is same-sex attracted, is a minister in the UK, wrote this book called Is God Anti-Gay? It's an excellent book. He said part of the problem is, is your identity. See, the, the gay community defines themselves by their gayness. Their whole identity is in being gay. It shapes who they are, the way they dress, who their friends are. He said, but the Bible is quite profound because it says, quote, I am far more than my sexuality. I'm far more than my sexuality. I'm not defined by my sexuality. I don't need to define myself, quote, as heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual. I'm a child of God, loved by God, and precious in his sight. And I'm laboring this point because being gay does not prevent you from coming to Jesus, does it? What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 11? He said, come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened. There's no sort of clause there, is there? Come to me all except the homosexuals. Come to me all except the, the pedophiles. Come to me all except the murderers. He's come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened and you'll find rest. Jesus is pleased with people. Come to me, come on. Come to me and I will love you and I will cleanse you and I will heal you and I'll forgive you. So if you're here tonight and you you don't follow Jesus, I'm so glad you're here because you need to hear that God loves you. That's your biggest need in life. Forget whether you are gay or straight, whether you're a man or whether you're a woman, whether you're rich or whether you're poor. You need to hear that God loves you. And understand the the extravagance and the lavishness and the extent of his love for you that would send his most precious son to a cross for you. And if you're here tonight and someone who is a Christian who is battling with same-sex attraction, you need to hear that God does not define you by your sexuality. Your identity is not in your sexuality. Your identity is being a child of God, isn't it? See, all of us here, no matter what our struggle is, we need to hear that God loves us. 
A man called Wesley Hill, who is same-sex attracted, wrote this. Do we wake up every morning amazed that we are loved by God, loved extravagantly by a self-giving God? Now, here's the but. We are loved by God, but part of the way that God loves us as our creator Part of the way that he loves us is to show us the best way to live as his creatures. Part of the way that he loves us is to show us the best way to live in this world. And and sometimes that love is confusing and sometimes that love is confronting. So whilst I am not saying, I am not saying that you have to stop your gay lifestyle to come to Christ. I am saying that when you come to Jesus... If you come to Jesus, he does make demands of us. If before you became a Christian, your battle and your struggle was lying, he says to you, when you come to Christ, I'm going to change that, you know. You need to change that. I don't like that. If your struggle before you become a Christian is your struggle of pride or selfishness, he takes hold of that and says, no, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Please change those ways. It's not the best way to live. If your struggle before you became a Christian is that you were dabbling with with heterosexual pornography or you're in a heterosexual, sexually explicit relationship, he says, you know, you're now calling yourself my child and my, my beloved one, so please, please change your ways. And if your struggle before you became a Christian is that you were in an active gay lifestyle, he says, come on, you now call yourself my precious child. Let's walk together. Let's change this together, shall we? I I talked about my friend Anthony. You know, when he became a Christian, he did not suddenly stop being gay and living an active gay lifestyle. Almost every single week for the first year and a half, he came to me in tears, flooding in tears, saying, I've done it again. I've slept with someone. I've been to this gay club. And and we sat down with the scriptures, you know, and he said, look, Paul, I, I don't want to do this. I want to change. I long to change. I want to be forgiven. I want to live as a child of God. You know, most often, the spirit does not just change us overnight. Gradually and slowly, as you, as you understand how loved you are by God, you start to want to live his best way. That's my second point, that God loves his people, his children, honoring his word. Let's talk about sex. Sex is a good thing, a good, beautiful part of God's creation. God created us male and female as sexual beings with sexual desires and sexual organs. But right from the beginning, right from the beginning of time, sex was a good idea from a good God between one man and one woman in this institution called marriage. Look over to Genesis chapter 2, verse 23. The man said, this one at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. This one will be be called woman, for she was taken from man. And this is the reason a, a, a man leaves his father and his mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh, that's sex. Both the man and his wife were naked. Yet felt no shame. It's just beautiful. It's saying that God in his kindness, God in his wisdom creates this thing called marriage, which is faithful, lifelong, 
monogamous, this union between a man and a woman for, for procreation and for pleasure. Isn't God good? Creating us as sexual beings for pleasure. But throughout the whole Bible, it's really clear that the context to express your sexuality is within this covenant thing called marriage. And God says, that's the right way to live. If you read your Bible, it is is crystal clear that God condemns all sexual activity outside of marriage, both heterosexual and homosexual. And I know I've offended a lot of people with that one statement. Uh, The Bible uses different words. It uses the word porneia, which is the the sexually immorality word is for all sexual acts outside of marriage. It uses the, the fornication word for sex before marriage, the adultery word for when you're already married but you're having sex with someone who's not your spouse. And my point is that it does not say that gay sex is wrong and straight sex is right. It says sex within God's precious gift of marriage is right and good and beautiful. But all sexual activity outside of that, God does not think is right. I hope that's really clear. He is no more anti-same-sex activity than he is anti-opposite-sex activity outside of marriage. There's only a handful of places in the Bible where it explicitly talks about same-sex activity. Uh, Genesis 19 is one of them. You can read about that. It's basically that God sends two angels to earth in the form of men, and they, uh, they visit Lot's house, and Lot says, uh, please don't go outside after dark. It's a dangerous place. And in Genesis 19, verse 5, they called out to Lot and said, the men of the city called out and said, where are the men who came to you tonight? Send them out to us so we can have sex with them. And Lot begs in verse 7, don't do this evil, my brothers. And the book of Jude in the New Testament, it picks up that, that incident from Genesis 19 and talks about sexual immorality. And so that is wrong. So you could go there and you could go to Leviticus. You know, it's forbidden for a man to sleep with a man like a man sleeps with a woman. You could go to that. But I think I want to go to Romans chapter 1. So come with, it, come with me to Romans 1 on page 1036. And I love this, this, this bit because in verses 16 and 17 of Romans chapter 1, Paul has said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed to preach that Jesus loves people because that is the power for salvation for all people. No matter what their sexual orientation is, the gospel is the power to save. But look at verse 18. He says, God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. He says, there are people who live in the world who suppress the truth about God. They reject God as their creator. They ignore what their creator says. They don't like God telling them how to live in his world. Now, all people do that. Verse 25, they knew God. Well, they knew about God, but they didn't glorify him as God. They chose to ignore him. Instead, their thinking became nonsense and their senseless minds were darkened, claiming to be wise. They were fools. That's our world, isn't it? 
They claim to know everything, but they reject God and ignore God. Now, what are the consequences? Verse 24. God delivered them over in the cravings of their hearts to sexual impurities, so that their bodies were degraded amongst themselves. Let's stop there. Does verse 24 mention gay sex? Not at all. All it's saying is that when society and when men and women choose to ignore God and to reject God, one of the consequences of that is that our world becomes sexually immoral. We start just to have sex with who we want, when we want, and who cares the consequences. But it does explicitly mention same-sex activity down in verse 26. It talks about how God delivered them over to degrading passions for even their females exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. And their males in the same way also left natural relations with females and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Males committed shameless acts with other males and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. Let me be quite clear on this. This might be hard to hear. When, when Paul uses that word natural, it, it doesn't mean what's natural for me. It doesn't mean what's natural according to my orientation. Uh, the word there is a, is a creation word. It's, it's according to nature, according to created order. And the created order is male and female, and that is natural, inverted commas. But what is unnatural according to the created order is, is female, fem, female, and male, and male. But just before you think, oh, there you go again, God pointing the finger at gay sex. Let's keep reading, shall we? Because they didn't think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to worthless minds to do what is morally wrong. And they are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, wickedness. They're full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, malice. They gossip, slanders, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, etc., 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 And I love that because it's basically saying that a world without God and a world that ignores God becomes more and more and more godless. That's the point. It is not saying gay sex is awful but everything else is okay. It's just saying if you choose to ignore God and reject God, then our world becomes more and more and more depraved. And that's why we need a saviour. And that's why we need forgiveness. And that's why we need God. And that's why 1 Corinthians 6 is so important. It's on the screen. Don't be deceived. No sexually immoral people. That's all people. Idolaters, adulterers, nor anyone practicing homosexuality. No thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people. All swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And some of you used to be like that. That was your chosen lifestyle. But then you met Jesus and you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. So I'm here tonight to say God loves all people, God welcomes all people, but when they come to Jesus, he makes demands of us. There's not one set of rules for the gay people and one set of rules for the heterosexual. Is God really anti-gay? I'd say no, he's not particularly anti-gay but God is anti-lying and anti-stealing and anti-greed and anti-heterosexual sin and anti-homosexual sin 
He's anti-everything that goes against his precious word. His timeless, all-culture word. You've probably got loads of questions. I want to recommend a website for you. It's called livingout.org. It's written by my friend Ed Shaw and Sam Aubrey and Vaughan Roberts. They're all same-sex attracted, and they will answer every possible question that you've got on same-sex attraction. But if you indulge me, let me just do 60-second quick-fire answer to a few questions. You might say, aren't people born gay? That's a common assumption that science has got this so-called gay gene that, that people are born with this unchangeable sexual orientation. Is that true? I want to say, perhaps, sometimes, maybe, but not always. I mean, there may be genetic links in some cases, but not always. What we do know is things like you know, our eye color and our skin color and our bone structure, that, that's 100% genetic. But there's lots of things about us that are partly genetic and partly nurture. And when it comes to sexual orientation, there's a whole spectrum, you know. There are people who are exclusively heterosexual, exclusively homosexual, and, and everywhere in between. Number two, aren't gay Christians unfairly singled out? I mean, it's so harsh, isn't it, to expect gay Christians to be celibate. I want to say, again, with compassion, that we expect all unmarried Christians to strive for celibacy. Whether you are heterosexual or homosexual. But I also want to add, you know, we've got to acknowledge that, yes, in some ways it is harder for those who are same-sex attracted. Listen to Wes Hill, who is a Christian who struggles with same-sex attraction. He says, I'm gay, but I'm not in a gay relationship. Why not, you ask? Why would anyone voluntarily remain in a state of suppressing their sexual desires? Why would you choose to abstain from sex? The answer is not individual proof texts from the scriptures. They are never enough to keep gay Christians from looking for sexual activity. The answer is in seeing all these texts as part of the true story of what God has done for us in Jesus and how much he radically loves us. And when you grasp that, you desire to live a life that's honoring to him. Number three, isn't this view of sexuality dangerous and damaging? That's a charge against the church. We accused of repressing people and causing a depression and deep damage. And yes, I want to say we have. The church has done that. And we need to repent of that. But you know, to deny someone's sexual activity is not necessarily to repress them or to damage them. It is possible to have intimacy without sex. Sex is not the only way that we as human beings experience intimacy, is it? Number four, is change possible? And the simple answer is, yes, of course it is. It's possible, but it's not promised. God, by his Holy Spirit, can do anything, but it's not guaranteed. Listen to my friend Vaughan Roberts. He says, of course, God can wonderfully change people. A small proportion of people, including Christians, find that 
they remain exclusively attracted to the same sex throughout their entire adulthood. God has the power to change their orientation, but he has not promised to, and this has not been my personal experience. Research suggests that complete change from exclusive homosexual desires to exclusive heterosexual ones is very rare. So while supporting the right of anyone to seek help to change if they wish, our emphasis needs to be more on the encouragement to be godly and content. There are some people who have changed, but not everybody. Number five, what if I have a gay friend who's not yet a Christian? How, how, do, you, how do you talk to them about your faith? I find that a very strange question. Talk to them about your faith like you would talk to anybody, you know? Please do not go straight to the verses on homosexuality. Just present Jesus to them. Just love them. Just talk about how amazing your God is, how powerful he is, how good he is. You do not say, change your behavior and then come to Christ. You say, come to Christ, find Jesus, and let Jesus do the work. Number six, what if a gay couple walks into church by the bridge? How would you respond? Two women, two women walking holding hands, two men walking holding hands. How would you respond to them? I do hope we respond in exactly the same way that we respond to anybody who walks into our building. We would welcome them. We say, I'm glad you're here. Because what do all people need most in life? They need to know that God loves them. And they also need to see consistency, don't they? They need to see consistency that we as a church and we as Christians, we do not elevate homosexual sin as the worst possible sin. I have to say also, it's highly unlikely that gay couples would walk into our church, is it? It's highly unlikely because for most gay couples, all they ever hear is, is that the church hates them. Let me ask you, how many gay friends have you got? I mean, do you actively seek to hang out with, in, with the gay community or make friends with people who are same-sex attracted because you want to actually get to know them and, and get to them as a person, not as a project, but as a person. A person, find out who they are and what they love and what they hate and then and just love them. Love them as people, like you would love anybody. What do you do if you're here tonight as a Christian who experiences same-sex attraction? If that's you tonight, please listen very carefully. Can I urge you and plead with you to talk? Talk to God. Tell him all your pain, all your struggles, all your fears, all your confusion. Talk to him. But then talk to somebody. Talk to people. Talk to others. Please, 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 please do not wrestle alone. I can't imagine what it's like to have to sit down and just... Talk to someone about that, but in some ways I can because I've talked to people who I love about my deepest, darkest struggles. I love this this quote. It's a conversation between Wesley Hill, who's coming out as being gay, to one of his closest Christian friends. Let me read it. There's something I'd like you to know about me. I began weakly and my voice was trembling. I told him I was gay. 
I'd known since puberty. I told him I'd prayed for healing. I said I just wanted Christian friends who would be there for me. Who would help me figure out how to live with this tension and confusion that at times seemed overwhelming. When I finished speaking, Charlie was quiet. Do you want to ask? Do you want to say anything else? He he asked. I shook my head. Then he said, "Wes, I just want you to know that I don't think this is weird." But it is weird," I exclaimed. "No, no, no, no. That's not what I mean. I mean, I don't want you to feel like this is weird for me to hear. I always feel overwhelmed when people share things like this with me. Why me?" I asked. What did I do to deserve listening to you? Thank you so much for sharing. And we prayed and we hugged and we chatted. And I knew something decisive had happened that night. Because no longer was I struggling alone. I was struggling with the help of other Christians who loved me deeply. So please, please, please talk to somebody. I'm here, I'd love to listen. I'd love, I'd love just to listen to you. I'll be here at the end of the service if you want to talk. But what does this church need to learn on this question? Is God really anti-gay? I think we need to repent. Repent of any victimization. Repent of the ways that we have spoken with slang and demeaning jokes and derogatory comments and let's not underestimate the harm that we have done to gay people by what we say you need to be clear clear that the gospel says that God loves you with a lavish unconditional extraordinary love but also clear on what the demands of the gospel are Again, this guy, Sam Oldby, says, it's so unhelpful when a so-called Christian says, just embrace your sexuality. It's like a slap in the face for those of us who strive for purity. So repent, be clear, be consistent. Homosexuality is not the greatest sin. It's not the only sexual sin. Be loving. Just be a friend. Just be a friend to anybody who walks through this door. So is God really anti-gay? No. He loves all people. Is God particularly anti-gay? No. He's particularly anti any sin, lying, greed, selfishness, pride, heterosexual sin, homosexual sin, anything that doesn't honor his word. Because he's a good creator. He's a good creator who loves his creatures and knows how best to live in his world. As I say, I'll be down here at the end of the service. I would love to chat with anybody and pray with anyone. Let me pray. Father God, you are indeed good. And yet, Father, we come to a topic like this and our hearts are heavy. And they're heavy because we know people and we love people who are gay And Father, we want to love them so that they know that you love them and that Jesus died for them. And so we pray that you give us opportunities to do that and you give us the heart to do that and the words to do that. 
And Lord, your word is confronting at times and we find this topic very confronting. We would long for your word to say something different, but we do pray that we be a church that upholds your precious word in a way that is sensitive and compassionate and kind.